my playback. And now, live, Real Red Meat Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday, and I've got a simple starting question for you today. Is Joe Biden going to do everything he can to wipe out America's gig economy? Which I think is a great place to work. Uh, for those people for whom it fits, gig jobs are absolutely fantastic. Now, some people wouldn't like them. Fine. There are lots of other jobs available, even in a bad economy, like the one that Joe Biden and his crazy people at the White House and on Capitol Hill have created. There are still a lot of jobs available out there. But to wipe out the gig economy, I'll back that up in a moment because you're going to want to say, if you're a Joe Biden fan, well, he's not doing that. Yes, he most certainly is. But let me get into the details in a moment. First, glad you could join me. If you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you happen to be a naysayer, you disagree with my point of view, that's okay. For more than a quarter of a century, this program has welcomed naysayers and will put you right to the head of the line. And if you want to vote in our X poll, used to be called a Twitter poll, now it's X, should American schools be off limits to house Joe Biden's illegal alien invasion? I'd say yes to that. The schools should be off limits. Frankly, I think American cities ought to be off limits. Unfortunately, so many big American cities are run by big-time Democrats like New York and Chicago and Philly and Washington, D.C. And guess what happened in New York City? In New York City, last night, parents learned that their children would not be welcome at a local public school, that instead... 2,000 illegal aliens would be occupying that school overnight. And why? Well, because they had a massive tent set up in a big athletic complex, and the winds and the storm winds blew that tent down. They said, we have to put these people somewhere. We all understand when there's an emergency, but this was an emergency deliberately created by Joe Biden and his border policy, by Kamala Harris and her feckless actions as vice president, by big city mayors who at least a year ago were saying, why, we're a sanctuary city. We welcome all. They had those cute little signs in their front yard. All are welcome here. Until they decided, no, they're not all welcome here because we don't know what to do with hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens who flooded into our city. So all these school kids in Brooklyn, which, by the way, we took a look at the numbers, in Brooklyn, that area largely went for Trump. It was largely a red voting district in 2020. Now, why would the Biden administration or the administration of Mayor Eric Adams of New York City, why would they choose a relatively conservative neighborhood to tell parents, your kids can't go to the local public school that you fund and that you paid for because we're going to fill up the school with 2,000 illegal aliens? 
Uh, you can find the question at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. And it's always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I've always believed in, so I joined AMAC a long time ago. You should, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better. Better for you. And better for America. Sadly, I've been getting some calls and emails today. Lars, it's not nice to call them illegal aliens. Hold on a second. Illegal alien is a term that comes straight out of federal law, number one. Number two, it's descriptive. If you're an alien, that means a foreign national human being who is in America and you're here illegally, you are, to it, an illegal alien. They want you to call them migrants instead or immigrants or some nice, warm, fuzzy term. I don't feel like describing thieves who are stealing from this country by warm, fuzzy terms. I want to describe them by what they are. They're breaking the law. They're foreign nationals. They have no business being in our country. And now, finally, in one of the biggest liberal Democrat cities in America, although Brooklyn is not a liberal Democrat precinct, in one of the biggest liberal cities in America, they finally told parents, you're going to lose your kids' schools. And you say, well, they only lost it for one night. That was last night. Wait till this coming summer. When they get to summer and the Joe Biden illegal alien numbers that are already eight to nine, maybe even 10 million is the best estimate. And that number comes from Customs and Border Protection, a Joe Biden agency. When we're letting in 300,000 illegal aliens every single month, the biggest numbers America's ever seen. What are you going to do? When in your community, because this won't be just New York City or Chicago or Philly or D.C., it's going to be every town in America. And you're going to have the local town, city council, county commission. They're going to come to you and say, we have to put these some people somewhere. I said, great, put them on the other side of the border. Put them on the south side of the border. That's where they belong. It's legal for them to be there. Make it Mexico's problem instead of America's problem. We didn't invite them. Well, Joe Biden did, but the rest of us didn't know, uh, didn't say yes to this nonsense. So in any case, glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. By the way, yesterday's X poll, will you still fly with Alaska Airlines after one of their planes doors blew out mid-flight? I said yes. 74% of you agreed, but 26% of you said that little incident, which seems to indicate that it may be that Boeing has a problem. Because it sounds like a number of other airlines have found loose bolts, loose screws, loose connections inside the fuselage of that Boeing airplane. Did that happen because of bad maintenance or improper operation of the plane? Or did it happen at the factory where that plane got put together? I would suspect the latter rather than the former. But about the gig economy, let me share this with you. Joe Biden has issued new rules. They went out yesterday intended to put more independent contractors on company payrolls. In other words, they're going to tell you, you no longer have the choice. Maybe you have a gig job that you like. Maybe it's Uber. Maybe it's Lyft. Maybe it's Grubhub. And those are always the ones we think of. But, you know, Grub economy jobs or gig jobs, uh, gig jobs, not grub jobs, gig jobs are actually very attractive to people who are in very skilled workers. You could be an architect, you could be an engineer, you could be a filmmaker, you could be a number of things. And now the Joe Biden Labor Department wants to make that off limits to you and say, you can't work that way. Are you going to accept that? Especially without any action by the people's representatives? Because I'm not. 
Let's go to JJ. Hey, JJ, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Oh, looks like JJ dropped off. Sorry about that, JJ. You missed your opportunity. But here's what's happening. California has already done this with the gig economy. They've already made independent contracting something, one of the most difficult things you can do. And yet, if you're an independent contractor, you get the chance to specify when you want to work, how you work, what days you work. Yeah, and you have to negotiate with the people that you're working with. If they say to you, we've got a job and we need it done right away, will you work seven or eight or ten days in a row and make that happen? In a W-2 job, a, a, pal- a salary job, uh, you have to figure out how much you're going to get paid. You may get overtime. You may have your benefits paid. In a gig economy, you negotiate your own package, and oftentimes that works out to the advantage of the person who's working that job. And now Joe Biden wants to take that opportunity away from you. I think that is just dead wrong. Glad to be with you on a Wednesday. Always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Coming up in a moment, should home builders pay more than $20,000 in fees to fill one county's unbalanced budget? We're going to get into this example of why it's so hard to build housing in America next on the Lars Larson Show. to an interview again check out larslarson.com welcome back to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you and i'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails in just a moment i want to talk first to our friend jim burling who's vice president of legal affairs for pacific legal foundation jim welcome back and happy new year happy new year to you too i always disclose to my audience if i had dog in the fight i've owned a house uh for a long time uh, I've owned houses, if you count all of them, uh, going all the way, just one, you know, but, but all the way back to about 1980. And I think it's one of the best investments anybody can make. And so it really troubles me when I see the government make it so very, very hard to be able to build houses. And you've got a great example of where I think they're making it unnecessarily hard in a place called El Dorado County. What's going on there? Right. So El Dorado County is a mostly rural county east of Sacramento. It goes from Sacramento area up to Lake Tahoe. And George Sheets is a 72-year-old man who decided about five years ago he wanted to build a new home on 10 acres of property that he had on a very rural road. And this home was going to be an 1854 square foot, 1,854 square foot manufactured home. So we're not talking about a McMansion. And he went to the county to ask for a permit, and the county said, well, here's your permit, but you have to pay a traffic mitigation fee of $23,420. And he said, say what? And the county said, well, yeah, that also includes $2,260 to improve Highway 50, which is a major highway, which is four-mile drive from George Sheets' property. And he argued, you can't justify this fee. It's just too huge. But the county, you see, has a wish list of $840 million worth of road improvements it wants to do in the county. And it wants to pay for that in some way other than raising taxes. So the way it does that is treats people who want to build new homes, such as George Sheets' small manufactured home, uh, 
traffic mitigation fees and all kinds of mitigation fees, essentially treating new homeowners like ATM machines that, oh, you want a permit? Well, here, how many tens of thousands of dollars you can get? So George uh, took this case up to the courts and said, you can't do that. Uh, you have to justify it. There have been some cases, and Pacific Legal Foundation had one of the earlier cases back in 1987, where the California Coastal Commission told a property owner that in order to get a permit to build a home on the beach, you have to give away one-third of your beachfront property. Now, the Supreme Court called that an out-and-out plan of extortion. That's said, a taking under it, the Constitution, isn't it, Jim? Yeah, exactly. You can't re- you can't take somebody's property without showing that it's going to really ameliorate some impact that your development is going to cause. And it has to be, and the government has a duty of proving that. Well, in this case, uh, Lawrence, the government said, well, no, this isn't pursuant to a permitting process. In this case, the legislature, the county, the, the county board of supervisors passed a schedule of fees. And therefore, since the county did it as a legislative matter, we don't have to comply with the Constitution's requirement. You have to justify what we do. We can just take the money. Counties don't have to comply with the Constitution because they're state-level legislatures? Well, that's essentially what they're arguing. They're saying that if we pass a legislative act, we don't have to justify taking of this property, taking of the property or taking of the money or whatever. Uh, And that's what the Supreme Court heard oral argument on on Tuesday. And I have to tell you, Lars, that the court was very skeptical of the idea that there's some kind of legislative exemption to the constitutional requirement to justify permit fees. And even when pressed, the county's counsel said, well, maybe the uh, courts in California, the California state court went a little too far. And yeah, we think the Constitution does probably apply in some of these cases, but, but not in this case, uh, because we're really at, we really had a very particular fee schedule and therefore trust us that it's appropriate to prove it. So basically it, was a, it came down to a trust us argument that we're doing the right thing. Well, I don't, trust, we don't I, don't, I don't trust him, Jim, but let me ask you something. If the $800 million in improvements to the roads in El Dorado County is to benefit all the people who live in El Dorado County, how can they justify saying, but we're only going to tag the people who happen to be building a new house today and and for, presumably for the next 20 years, saying we're going to charge them the cost of $800 million in improvements that are supposed to improve the roads for everybody who lives in the county, and a tiny percentage of the people who live in the county are going to pay the entire bill. I mean, I understand it's attractive to the county, but it seems tremendously discriminatory as a legislative maneuver. You know, and and in fact, I don't know. It absolutely is. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think it absolutely is because the people who have not yet moved into the county are not voting, so they don't vote for these taxes. And it's a great deal if you're a county taxpayer to get somebody else to pay for the cost. So the county is saying, well, look, George and his wife, they're going to have an impact. They're going to use the road, so they should have to pay for that. But that's what taxes are for. Uh, and the court has said repeatedly that some people alone should not bear burdens that should be borne by the public as a whole. And that's what the takings clause is all about. You can't take somebody's property or take the right to build a home in this case uh, simply because you don't want to go to the taxpayers to justify 
the $840 million in improvements that it wants. Jim, you know from talking to me the dangers of talking to a non-lawyer like me, but I'm curious about this. The, the founders of this country didn't like bills of attainder, where the parliament in Great Britain could say, we're going to pass a bill, but it only applies to Jim Burling. Uh, nor could you write a bill that said it only applies to attorneys of a certain age who live in a certain place. Those are all considered bills of attainder. Isn't this kind of a bill of attainder when you say, we're going to uh, apply this tax only to some very specific small groups of people? Well, it's precisely the sort of thing that is prohibited by a number of constitutional provisions. You can call it spot zoning or simply targeting individuals. That's not what the Constitution is all about. That's not what our democracy is all about. Now, precisely, it's not a bill of attainder for kind of technical reasons of the way that it was passed and who it applies to. But the spirit is pretty much the same thing. You cannot discriminate against people, especially those in this case, who don't have the vote yet because they haven't yet moved into town. Let me ask you about another case, and this was one the Supreme Court heard on Monday that involves a guy whose name was put on the no-fly list, and then they removed him and said, now you can't sue us for putting you on the list to begin with, even though it sounds like they were wrong, uh, the government was wrong to put him on the no-fly list. Is that that the essence of it? Yeah, this is a case dealing with Jonas Fikre. He's a U.S. citizen of Eritrean descent, and he was living for a little while in Sudan, And the FBI came to him and said, look, we want to know about this mosque in Oregon that you've been going to. And if you don't cooperate with us, you are going to put you on the no-fly list. He didn't cooperate. They put him on the no-fly list. And eventually he made his way to Sweden and they put him on a private plane back to the U.S. And he sued saying, you had no right to put me on the no-fly list. So what does the FBI do? It takes him off the no-fly list. But, but but Mr. Fickrey is saying, but you could put me back on at any time. I want to sue to find out why I was put on and to have some sort of assurance you're not going to put me on again. And the FBI and the Department of Justice says, well, based on what we know now, we're not going to put you back on the list again. It's trust us to do the right thing. So he argued the case Monday at the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court was rather skeptical of arguments on both sides, quite frankly. They were they, they were concerned that they didn't want too much publicity about why people were put on the list, and that makes sense. We don't want terrorists to find out how you can stay on or off the list. Uh, but at the same time, they are very skeptical of the Department of Justice's trust us argument that, look, we, we're not going to put them back on the list, therefore this case should be dismissed, because if we learn new information, we might put them back on the list. And the court seems to be heading toward the direction that what we're really going to do is if somebody is on the no-fly list, maybe a judge should look at that uh, just in in a private setting, not open to the public, so the judge can look at it to see whether it makes sense or not. So the court, I think, was troubled by what happened to Mr. Fickrey. Mr. Fickrey is certainly troubled by it. No doubt. That is Jim Burling at Pacific Legal Foundation. Jim, thanks very much. The Lars Larson Show. One in five people with disabilities.
miss something on the Lars Larson Show? Check out posted interviews and podcasts at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I want to tell you about Bill Gates and why he's dumping millions of dollars into Chinese communist organizations in China. That's a big concern for me. But first, we've got some people who have been waiting a bit. Let me go to Dan, who's a naysayer. And Dan, as you know, on this program, we always put naysayers to the head of the line. Uh, what do you and I disagree about today? Well, it, um, it, it may be a disagreement. I just want to set something up for you and see if you agree. All right. Um, if I want to say say 100 to 150 years ago, if we were having a radio show um, similar to this one, and let's say Sitting Bull was the host, you already probably know where this is going. Oh, would I can he, see it, but I'm, I want you to do it anyway. Okay. Would Would he be saying, as you're saying, hey, these colonizers are coming into our country taking things that aren't theirs. They shouldn't come in here unless we allow No, it he would not. With, with our tribal laws. No, no, he would. No, my, my answer is no, he wouldn't be saying that because, number one, there was no country. Number two, there was no system for establishing by some legal means who owned a piece of property. Do you know what the system was that the Indian tribes used themselves, if you can call it a system? If you had the power and the might to take a piece of land, you owned it and and you controlled it. You didn't necessarily own it the way we mean owning a piece of property today. And if somebody came along and said, I'm going to take it away from you, and they did, then they own it or possess it or control it. So that was the system that was in place. And there were a whole bunch of Indian tribes who took land away from other Indian tribes. So that was the system that was in operation apparently for thousands of years before Europeans arrived on the continent. And you know what the Europeans did? They did the same thing the tribes had been doing. They're saying, if we can take this piece of land and hold on to it, it's ours. So they used the same system that the tribes had used. And then you get people today saying, well, they owned that land and it was their country. There was no country. There was no formal ownership the way we mean it today. And the system was, if you can take it and hold it, it's yours. And if you lose it, it's not yours. So that was the system. Sitting Bull would have had no claim because, you know, because there are plenty of tribes. And if you go back and read the histories of the Indian tribes, and I have, who went into areas that were not theirs, and they took the areas away from the people who were in them then and kicked them out. And so I think they would have felt very strongly about saying, if this is yours, and in this case, this is our country, it has defined borders, and people want to come in illegally and occupy our land, we can have the same uh, attitude toward it that the Indian tribe, the Native American tribes would have had back in the day. You're definitely good at what you do, and let me <laughs> let me oppose this uh, scenario as well sure. that goes with it. Yeah. As, as, as the reality that colonizers moved in, established borders and states as they did and moved west as they were doing this they were setting up ghettos if you want to call them reservations and and forcing them into an area having also not more than 50 years ago um a certain place in a certain area that is a school for natives they were beating them for speaking their own language um so, All of those actions would be wrong, except that when you said they forced them into ghettos, as I recall, the tribes negotiated treaties with the federal government. 
And they said, we want to negotiate for a piece of land that is ours. And they did. And what they got was something that is superior to anything you can own or I can own. I, I can own, I don't, I own four tenths of an acre that my house sits on. Uh, and I own it in cooperation with the bank because I still have a mortgage. But I can't establish my own sovereign nation. I can't say I'm not held to the rules of the state and federal government. No matter where you live in America, nobody who's not a tribal member can say, I'm going to establish a sovereign nation. The tribes have sovereign nations. They negotiated for them. They actually got superior rights to what you enjoy. They are American citizens. We are American citizens. They have sovereign nations. You and I do not. We only have one, and that's the United States. Having said that, and the fact that you brought that up, leads me to the end point that I'll just leave for that particular subject, that it's proven history and record in Congress that America has broken virtually every single solitary treaty. But I'm not going to argue anymore on that. Um, okay. I just Can you set up your own that. casino? I'm, I'm just I'm just letting right. you know what the treaties. I'm not going into what. Well, and if and, and here's the thing, Dan, do you think that if somebody has a a, a disagreement over a treaty, if you had a disagreement over a contract with the federal government or the state government or your local government or anybody else, how do you resolve that? You go to the courts. And the tribes have gone to the courts over and over again. And in some cases, they've won. And in some cases, they lose, which is the same situation you're in and I'm in. Correct? Well, when you breach a contract, then there should be liability, but there well, usually wasn't. But, but Dan, Dan hold on, hold on. There are probably hundreds of thousands of people right now who think they have a breached contract. And you know where they resolve that? In a courtroom. And sometimes they win and sometimes they lose. And I guarantee when two parties go into a courtroom and say, that guy breached the contract, and that guy says, no, I didn't. I fulfilled all the demands of the contract. You have a difference of opinion. And when people lose in court, unfortunately, most people are not very good losers, whether they're tribal members or non-tribal members, they're going to tell you all day long till, their, till the end of their lives that they were ripped off by the courts. Whoever lost is going to say, I, I, I was ripped off. And whoever won is going to say, no, the court made a decent decision. But are we going to continue to hear the complaints of people who said, we made deals, sometimes we thought the deals were reneged upon, and so we went to court and we lost. Okay, you lost. And, and in America... You have a greater ability than almost any other place on the planet to be able to go to court and lose and appeal to a higher court and a higher court and a higher court. I think with the death penalty, the total number of appeal levels is 12 of them before you get to the U.S. Supreme Court. So do we always take the word for the person who said, well, they broke the treaty. Great. Did you go to court? Yeah. And we lost. Did you appeal it? Yeah. And we lost, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, lather, rinse, repeat. And at the end of the day, when they say, well, I lost every single appeal I made, but I was still right. Dan, that that's kind of like every time I've gone into a prison or a jail to interview somebody, do you know how many convict, you know how many guilty criminals I've ever met behind bars? Well, the point, the point was that the natives had treaties that were broken every time and the court system was never designed for them. So that doesn't really fly back then. Well, see, I don't buy that, Dan, because because right now tribes do go to court even today. There are tribes like the uh, Agua Caliente tribe in California that claims most of Palm Springs belongs to them. 
And then the other side, Palm Springs, is going to argue, no, it doesn't. And at the end of the day, do you accept our system of courts? Do you think the tribes are getting a raw deal today? Or are you just saying they're getting a raw deal because they're not the winner every single time? It's not the, the well. That is the point, because you're arguing that whatever the courts come up with, that's the white man's court. No, it's not, because every single tribal member is also an American citizen. And, and that's a that's an advantage that they have. They are both tribal citizens of a sovereign nation, and they are also citizens of the United States. And if you say, well, the courts are uh, engineered against them, I would argue that in today's day and age, especially if you're in front of a court, do you think there's a tremendous amount of sympathy for Native Americans in America today? Well, tribes do have... Answer the question, please, Dan. I get tired of asking questions. I've answered your questions. Do you think there's a tremendous amount of sympathy both inside and outside the courts for Native Americans? I don't think there ever has been. Same with black. You don't think there ever has? See, I see an awful lot of sympathy for Native Americans in this country, but I appreciate the call. Back in just a moment. Glad to get your phone calls and your emails. We'll talk a bit about Taiwan and where their election this Saturday is going to take that country as China threatens war. We all parents were in the U.S. Navy, so I have a dog in the fight. And I want to ask our friend Miles Yu, who's senior fellow and director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute, um, what's going to happen this Saturday in the election that's going on in Taiwan? Well, uh, thank you for having me on your show. Um, and uh, uh, I'm glad that, that uh, you were not only interested in Taiwan election as an American citizen, also as someone who was born there. Now, this is very important because... Uh, uh, we don't know who is going to win finally because their three-way uh, uh, race is very, very close. They have the uh, incumbent, which is the Democratic Progressive Party (DPP), and you have the main opposition, which is the uh, uh, KMT. Uh, and then now this year, there's a third party, which is very strong, but is a kind of a not quite distant uh, uh, third. That is uh, the uh, Taiwan People's Party, that's TPP. So. Uh, the poll just uh, uh, closed uh, about a week ago indicates that uh, it's very tight. Uh, there's one particular election law that that is 10 days before the actual voting day, uh, no polling results should be published. That's why we don't know quite exactly what's going on today. The voting is Saturday, so we're a couple of days away. So tell me this, um, of those three parties, which favor to some extent, one extent or another, unification with the mainland, and which favor an continuing independent Taiwan? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, Now, uh, traditionally, the party that that is uh, known for pro-unification is the main opposition, KMT, because most of the core members of KMT came to Taiwan in 1949 from mainland. They uh, the uh, the DPP, the uh, the Democratic Progressive Party, is uh, widely known as the party for independence. So they want they, they don't want to sort of in, uh, unification with China. So the DPP basically is somewhere in between. They're trying to exploit the uh, the lot of ambiguities. But now it's a it's a very different because uh, the issue of unification and independence uh, uh, is not even that important because. Overwhelming majority of the uh, Taiwan voters, about 90% of them, are for not neither, for e- neither 
unification or independence. They're for status quo. So the question now is, so the main focus of the debate there are three so far uh, is about one thing. What is the nature of status quo? So the clear answer, obviously, status quo is a de facto independence. Yeah, I was going to say so it's de facto why, independence. Whether whether you say we want full independence, well, I don't know what that how that would be different from what the status quo is right now. Would it be? Well, you know, uh, but the, the the full independence it is status quo. So the the matter is whether there is a full independence or China, Taiwan is fully independent country. The question is, uh, would Taiwan get international recognition or not? So that's the issue right now. So, but Taiwan is an independent and sovereign country already. That is the reality that TPP obviously embraced for uh, hardly. Uh, KMT, you know, is, uh, is is trying to sort of to avoid this question, but they know the answer, but they just don't have the courage to say it openly. That's why uh, KMT is struggling. Is KMT is that that's Kuomintang, or am I saying that wrong? That's right. That's, that's Guomindang. That's kind of a phonetic. Uh, translation of the Chinese Nationalist Party. That came to so the, uh, if 90 percent of the people want the status quo, then all th- it doesn't matter if, whoever ends up getting elected of the three is, is going to have to favor that or, or risk a, a real, uh, uh, I guess, revolution from the people. That's right. That's a very keen observation, because uh, in the past, uh, uh, they came to always say, that the DPP is pro-independence, uh, the, their stand political agenda will basically anger China and uh, Taiwan will be under attack if DPP continues to, uh, to rule. And DPP said, no, KMT, you're totally wrong. The, the tension between China and Taiwan is not caused by DPP, but the, the Chinese Communist Party. So the agency of the, uh, uh, of the relationship between mainland China and Taiwan is completely on the side of the CCP, on the Chinese Communist Party. So that's the argument that's to be made. I'm glad that argument actually is, is getting increased uh, recognition uh, island-wide. Do we need to worry that mainland China is going to try to interfere with Taiwan's election the way other foreign countries have tried to interfere with our elections? Well, here's the thing. Uh, the uh, the Chinese Communist Party in the past, since 1996, uh, the first uh, truly democratic election, has always, always interfered uh, with Taiwan election. Every time there was an election, they do something pretty dramatic and basically backfire. In 1996, for example, in the first election, China fired missiles uh, uh, to the the water near or, 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 uh, near Taiwan. So that basically backfired. More people were voting for the, for the uh, for what the party that China didn't like. So 2020 did the same thing. Now it's getting more sophisticated. Uh, there are, of course, they uh, they have this bullying uh, with brute force, but it's not that obvious that they use a, a massive techno- technology aided assistant uh, interference to change the narrative, to change the uh, Taiwanese uh, people uh, call this uh, Chinese warfare uh, uh, cognitive warfare. So uh, that's very true. They, uh, they basically change the narratives. They're very subtle, well, and uh, they manipulate the polling data, that kind of stuff. I'm talking to Miles Yu from the Hudson Institute. Miles, I mean, I understand there are plenty of dumb American politicians, but how dumb can the people in Beijing, the Politburo and the CCP, be when they say, I know, we'll interfere with their elections by threatening to shoot missiles at their country. That will drive them into our embrace. No, it's not. It's going to push them the opposite direction. The Chinese communist leadership can't figure that out. Have they been living in a dictatorship too long? 
You cannot use common logic <laughs> and normal human condition to interpret the behavior pattern and the mentality of the Chinese Communist Party. It operates on the entire different uh, train of logic. Uh, for example, the Chinese Communist Party always believes uh, itself has a strategic uh, foresight. It has the kind of a long-term view. But then, in the end, they always end up losing because, you know, they, their views are not based on reality, and their views were not based upon the, the correct and objective assessment of their strength and the opposition's strength and weaknesses. So, therefore, the ultimate fault of dictatorship is that the, it doesn't really have a common sense. And uh, you, you mentioned about the dumb politicians uh, uh, in America. Yes, there are a lot of them, but ultimately, uh, in the middle, uh, to decide the outcome of any political future, political direction, is the common sense of the common people. And that's the beauty of America, because the future and uh, uh, the fate of the nation uh, are in the hands of the American people, not, uh, unlike China, uh, uh, in the hands of one dictator who knows all and uh, ended up like losing everything. You know, for all their other planning and building islands in the South China Sea and all the other stuff they're doing, you'd think they'd realize if we act like big, friendly mainland China, instead of we'll shoot a missile at Jemena, mainland China, they might have more luck in getting a pro-mainland kind of party elected. But as long as they're going the other direction and it's working out well for us and for Taiwan, I'm happy. Miles, thanks very much. That's Miles Yu, Senior Fellow and Director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Now, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday and always glad to get your phone calls and emails. I got a major development for you involving one of the people who's been filing lawsuits everywhere in America trying to get Donald Trump thrown off the election ballot. He just got arrested himself. I'll get to the details in just a moment. First, welcome to the best conversation in talk journalism. It's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer and disagree with me, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our X poll. used to call it the Twitter poll. Now it's the X poll. As I've explained to you in the previous hour, um, an American high school was evacuated of its students today. Their parents were told yesterday in New York City in Brooklyn. And uh, the parents were told you can't send your kids to school tomorrow. We'll do some online education. And apparently the school district failed to do that either. So why would they tell the kids you can't go to James Madison High School? Because New York wanted to use it as a shelter for 2,000 illegal aliens. 
Now, I think that is just dead wrong. I think the powers that be in New York City who made this cockamamie decision have now realized they're going to get blowback like they have never seen before. Moms and dads and kids who are angry that our country is being given away, that Joe Biden has invited millions of illegal aliens to come into our country, and then he has deposited them on American cities, big cities, Chicago uh, and New York and Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C., and of course they're being deposited all over the American South and Southwest as well, and now all of a sudden it's really coming home. Even to those crazy cities like Eric Adams, New York, that said, oh, we're always a sanctuary city. You know, uh, migrants and illegal aliens, they're always welcome here. Until the illegal aliens started showing up in such large numbers, as a lot of us predicted they would, We said, what's going to happen when you have hundreds of thousands and now millions of illegal aliens flooding into America? Where are they going to go? Now, they've gone to the big cities, and they're the most visible there. But they've also gone to smaller cities as well. They may not be as visible, but imagine what's going to happen. Towns all over America that have shortages of virtually everything. I mean, name a city that has enough housing has enough hospitals, has enough schools, has enough roads, has enough water supply. There probably is a city somewhere that says, yep, we're completely good on all of the above. And there are a whole bunch of cities that have been telling their own citizens, we don't have the resources to provide what you need for your kids in school, for housing, for jobs or anything else. And those cities are now facing a horde of illegal aliens who are going to come in and do, on a small scale, what they're doing on a big scale in places like New York and Philly and Chicago. Should American schools be off limits to house Joe Biden's illegal alien invasion? That's the way I frame today's X poll. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show. I answered yes. Schools should be off limits, absolutely off limits. And I'll quote Elon Musk. I don't know the guy. Haven't had him on the show. He's welcome anytime he wants to come on. I don't agree with him on everything. There are plenty of things I disagree with Elon Musk about, not about the way that he's tried to shape up Twitter or X, but uh, but there are other things I disagree with him about, AI and a few other things like that. But he made the comment, and I thought it was right on target, and I don't steal other people's material like Joe Biden and uh, or Claudine Gay at Harvard. Uh, he said last night on X, he said when they run out of hotels – because there are a lot of big cities that are buying hotels or renting hotels to house this horde of illegal aliens. When they run out of hotels, they'll take the schools. And when they run out of schools, they're going to come for your homes. Now, there have already been some cities like Boston that have actually, I don't think they got any takers, but they said, hey, you folks, if you've got an extra room in your house, how would you like to have a couple of illegal aliens stay for a few weeks or maybe a few months or maybe indefinitely? As I said, I don't think they got a lot of takers. Maybe a few liberal progressives who said, sure, send the illegal aliens down. I'll put them in my back bedroom. Should American schools be off limits absolutely to housing Joe Biden's illegal alien invasion, just like New York City did last night and today to school kids in Brooklyn? You can vote in the Twitter poll or X poll. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show, and it's brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I've always believed in. I joined, and you should too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better, better for you and better for America. Now, I've got to tell you about something that just 
crossed the news wires within the last few minutes. As you know, because we've talked about it on this program, there are efforts in almost all states, although they're more successful in the blue states, to remove Donald Trump's name from the ballot. But more importantly, to deny to the people of that state even the right to cast a ballot for Donald Trump. No matter what you think of Trump, if somebody said to you, should any American be able to cast a ballot for the person, man or woman, who he or she believes is the best choice for president of the United States? Most of us say, absolutely. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Democrats in America, members of the party of slavery since 1829, you should be able to vote for whatever dimwit Democrat you want to vote for, even crazy Joe Biden. Now, I think most Americans are not exactly warming up to the idea of putting Joe Biden in for another four years. That's why he's doing so badly in the polls. He's got approval ratings in the 30s. But you should be able to vote for him if you want to. These are people who are so un-American, who are so antithetical to our system of government. They say, we can't let Americans vote for Donald Trump. We won't let them vote for Donald Trump. Now, guess what? There's a guy by the name of John Anthony Castro, and he has filed lawsuits in states all over America to have Donald Trump removed from the 2024 election ballot. The news that crossed within about the last hour or so is that John Anthony Castro has now been arrested and charged with 33 counts of aiding the preparation of false tax returns. So in other words, The guy who says Donald Trump can't be on the ballot because he's a criminal. Why? He's an insurrectionist. He's violated the Constitution. And, of course, states like Colorado that say, we're going to find him guilty without even having a trial or evidence or witnesses or the ability to confront your accusers. Prosecutors say that John Anthony Castro ran a tax preparation service online that provided customers with tax returns beyond what they were actually owed. In other words, you file, and you hear about people doing this every now and then, they file a return with the government. They say, why, I had this much withheld from my salary, and you're lying through your teeth. But you know that the IRS will sometimes send you a check. That's what this guy was doing 33 different times. So he actually announced his campaign for president in the Republican primary, all for show, and why? Because he wanted to be able to go out and file those lawsuits to get Trump off, and so did Democrats and Joe Biden. Well, he has now been charged with filing 17 sets of false tax documents to the IRS. He is himself a criminal. And you can't exactly blame the Biden administration because you'd think they love this guy. Except it's the Biden IRS and the Biden DOJ that's bringing the charges. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show. This is a... Interviews with authors, experts, and a healthy dose of opinion. Find it at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I have to tell you something. i got to talk about dishwashers, and I have to admit if I have a dog in the fight, 
because I am incapable of cooking. I mean, I couldn't cook if I had a recipe, a map, a flashlight, and both hands. But my wife's a great cook, and I do the dishes, which means I care a lot about dishwashers. And in fact, uh, a few uh, last year, we uh, we sold our old, old house and bought a new old house to fix up. And it happens to have a 30-year-old dishwasher in it. And I'll bet Will Hild knows why I'm very glad to have a 30-year-old dishwasher instead of a modern appliance. Will, welcome back to the program. How are you? Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. And that is a, that is that's a perfect lead-in because that's exactly what today's news is is really about. Um, the Fifth Circuit has struck down some Biden Department of Energy regulations that are really aimed at making your dishwasher worse. Uh, this administration has been monomaniacally focused at so-called green or efficiency standards, trying to reduce the amount of water or electricity that your appliances need to do their job. But the problem with that is. It makes the job that they do worse. It makes it harder to clean your dishes. It takes longer to dry your clothes and wash them. And uh, if you're lucky enough to have acquired an old appliance before all of these energy standards, you've probably it's worth its weight in gold. You should keep it. I think my wife would like to get rid of it and get a new one at some point when we redo the kitchen. We didn't buy a big house, but we, we like fixing up old houses. We took 20 years on the last one. But I said, if I have anything to say about it, I'm going to have them make parts for this thing if I can keep it running for the next 30 years because this thing is fast, it's quick, and it does a really good job. And I want you to explain to people who may not know the background on this because we've been talking about this for years, why it is. I mean, the shorthand is... They're trying to save energy and water. And you say, well, that's great. So what happens when you go from, you know, a dishwasher will get the dishes clean in 30 minutes and do a really good job to one that takes as much as three hours to do the job? And how much are they really saving when they force that kind of redesign on the American public? That's a great point, because a lot of times they have a very narrow myopic focus. They're focusing just on the machine. Uh, I talked to somebody earlier today who was complaining about the fact that they often have to pre-wash the dishes. They didn't used to with the, with the old machine, but now they have to pre-wash the dishes. And sometimes they have to post-wash the dishes because there's still stuff stuck on some of the dishes. So I can assure you the Department of Energy is not including that in their calculation. So it's, it's unclear if these regulations even reduced water usage when it came to dishwashers to begin with. But even if they did, you know... Part of what we, I, I, part of what you know, differentiates us when we talk about living in a first world country or a third world country, we talk about these things like, well, the water working and the electricity coming on and the appliances working. Well, these are directly reducing our standard of living when they make these appliances worse. And while all of these other issues, like you know, the corporate tax rate and immigration and voting uh, integrity, these are all very important things. But when you think about what you know, uh, changes your standard of living, your, your ease of life on a day-to-day basis. It's really more about, you know, how good is your car? How, how good is your dishwasher? How good is your, your clothes washer and your dryer? And, and that's really what these regulations degrade is, is that standard of living. Well, and, and it seemed, I mean, a number of years ago, I may, 25 years ago, well, I, my wife and I would sometimes drive up to Canada. It's about five or six hours away. We go to Vancouver. It's on this end. You know, I'm on the left coast. Uh, you know, we're surrounded by godless heathens. But um, we drive up there, and one day I was just in a conversation with a guy I ran into, and I said, oh, I hate these new toilets. He says, what kind of toilets? And I said, oh, you know, the low flush toilets. He said, oh, we don't allow, now I don't know if that's still true, but he said, we don't allow those in Canada. I said, why not? He said, well, you put less water with the solids to make it polite, uh, and, and it jams up your plumbing. 
And I said, yeah, it does. Sometimes you have to flush twice. And and he said, so we don't allow them. Now, that was true then. I don't know if it's still true now, but he said, we don't allow those toilets to be installed here. And I said, well, down in the United States, I said, if I put my own toilet in, which I've done before, I can buy a high flush toilet or could in Canada and bring it down. But if I ask a plumber to put it in, they say, oh, no, it's illegal to put that in. This is the kind of intrusion into people's lives to a level where they're literally saying, you've got a contraband toilet. You're not allowed to install it. You're not allowed to use it. I just kept wondering when Americans are going to wake up to this and say, the government should stay out of my business. It's a great question. When you look, you know, we're the nation's oldest consumer protection organization founded in 1929. Consumer and research. I should have mentioned that, but. No worries. And when you look at what uh, we were working on back in the early uh, 1930s, it was really about safety. It was really about making sure that consumers could know that the products that they were buying wouldn't hurt them. And some of the earliest government regulations you can argue for or against them, but that was the main focus. It was simply saying, you know, when you buy something, you should, it should, you should make sure it doesn't hurt you or poison you or something like that. Now, increasingly, the focus of these federal regulations is about trying to tell you what you should want out of this product. You should want it to only use a certain amount of water. You should want it to only use the amount of electricity. And, of course, that comes at the cost of its efficiency, its efficacy, right? But the government is coming in and telling you what you as a consumer should or must want. And, see, that's a real problem because that's the whole point of being consumers, that we get to choose. It's a wonderful thing about living in, in, uh, in a free country versus, you know, uh, luckily now the Soviet Union spell, but in the Soviet Union, they only had one type of deodorant. They only want one type of toothpaste. They only got one option. We get lots of options. And if someone wants a low-flow toilet, good on them. The market will produce that. But the government needs to get out of I know I know this is almost cliche to say it, but it, it really, it's not a trivial matter, as you noted. When they get down into the minutia of literally how your toilet works, it's making your life worse. I'm talking to Will Hild, who's executive director for the group Consumers Research. So, Will, one of the things that's really gotten to me, and I've tried to, I've, I've explained to my audience because I want to arm them with information. And one of them is, they'll, I'll, I'll get somebody who'll call and say, well, they banned the incandescent bulb. And I said, no, they didn't. And they'll say, yeah, they did. I can't find any of them. And I'll say, no, they didn't ban it. They t- tried something sneaky. And this suggests that even they know that what they're doing is kind of morally bankrupt. They say, we didn't ban the incandescent bulb. We just said you can have any light bulb you want as long as it produces 45 lumens for every watt. Well, now all of a sudden people's eyes are glazing over like, whoa, 45 lumens per watt? And I said, yeah. So in other words, if you can find a way to make a 60-watt light bulb uh, or, you know, what we get, the brightness out of a 60-watt incandescent bulb that runs on about 17 watts of energy, then you can make as many as you want. You say, well, you can't do that. And I said, yeah, it'd be like saying you can have any gasoline-powered car. You don't have to buy a battery car as long as it gets 200 miles to the gallon. And you say, Lars, but that doesn't exist. I said, well, it doesn't, but we haven't banned it. They want to be able to say we haven't banned you from doing anything. You can do as you know as many light bulbs as you want as long as they produce 45 lumens per watt. And there is no such incandescent bulb. So it's a de facto ban. But the Biden administration gets to run around saying, but we didn't ban anything. We just set standards. That's exactly right. And it's a it's a uh, a tactic we've seen deployed over and over and over. They bury they they make it very complex and 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 uh, buried in the minutia. And then when you, you know, use colloquial or layman's terms, you say, well, you banned it. They you know, that's when the fact checkers come and say, whoa, 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 whoa. A big project that we're working on at Consumers Research is pushing back against this so-called ESG movement, which is really, you know, everything we've just described that the Biden administration is doing 
through regulation. The ESG movement is the large asset managers like BlackRock doing that to consumers, but through corporate America. They're basically forcing or pushing corporations to do that to consumers. And of course, they they use the same tactic. They, oh, it's complicated. This is an investment. Uh, you know, this is a type of investment. We're looking at long-term issues. But when you look at what the actual net effect of consu- on consumers is, it's to push corporations to, instead of focusing on their needs, just like the Biden administration doesn't want the, the, the appliance manufacturers to focus on your needs as a consumer. They want them focused on what the DOE wants and what the Biden administration wants. Larry Fink and his elk at BlackRock want corporations focused on, on doing the bidding of Larry Fink and the Democratic Party and not on the consumer. It's the same thing. The net effect is a lowering in the standard of living and the, and the uh, quality of the goods and services that are provided to you by corporate America. So unfortunately, we, now, we used to just face this in the government sphere. Now we face it in the quote-unquote private sector as well with large asset managers pushing this kind of nonsense as well. Well, thank God it sounds like ESG is dying under its own weight. But, Will Hild, thank you very much. We appreciate the time. Thank you so much for having me. Mr. Hild is executive director of the group called Consumers Research. Coming up in a moment, I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And we'll talk about a government that ought to be busy busting meth labs that instead is going after organic milk. Unbelievable. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Kids. source for real red meat radio the lars larson show welcome back to the lars larson show let's talk about organic milk and i'll cite my source on this american military news great site we check it out all the time but i would ask it to you this way how is it that a government that ought to be busy busting fentanyl traffickers on our southern border or maybe busting methamphetamine labs in American history uh, cities or maybe rescuing children from sex traffickers? I hate that this whole list seems to relate back to Joe Biden, but so be it. He's the biggest aider and abetter of most of the evil things that are going on in this country. But instead, what are they doing? They're going after organic milk. I want to tell you about this. Uh, Walter Donaway is the reporter who wrote about this. But this is absolutely crazy. It's happening in Pennsylvania. And I know it's not the only place in America that it's happening. But they're going after people who create organic milk from cows. And, uh, and their customers know what they're buying. And yet the federal government, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is down there saying, we must protect the American people from themselves. I'll get into the details of it. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday. If you want to join what we call, and I think we live up to it, the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every night at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find the daily poll every day on X, used to be called Twitter, at Lars Larson Show. We also post it on my website at LarsLarson.com. So if you're not an X user, you can just go to my website. But please only vote once. But let me tell you about this story. 
It comes out of Pennsylvania. And as I said, I know there are examples. I'll probably get emails about this from other parts of America. It's from a town called Bird in Hand, which is a great name for a village. It's an Amish village in a very remote part of Pennsylvania. And uh, there is a man by the name of Miller who runs an organic farm. He's He and his family have been in business for about 100 years. And what do they grow? Well, grass-fed beef, raw milk, eggs, dairy from grass-fed water buffalo, and all kinds of produce. Now, who do they sell this to? Do they take it down to the grocery store and just put it on the shelves and hope it sells? No. They have a private club of 4,000 people who pay top dollar for what they consider high-quality whole food. Now, I think that's great. Whatever floats your boat. I tend to be not as big a fan of so-called organic food, not because I'm against the idea, but because I've seen the results on farms and and in orchards. Uh, I had a friend who was an apple grower one time uh, years ago who he said, hey, Lars, you want to see an organic apple orchard? I said, sure. And we pulled up next to his neighbor's land, and he said, there they, there they are, organic apple trees. I said, I don't see any apples on them. He goes, jump out of the truck, hop over the fence. And, and I said, is that all right? He says, yeah, I get along very well with my neighbor. I ran up to the apple tree, and it was probably 100 yards away. And I looked on the branches, and sure enough, they were the gnarliest, nastiest-looking little apples you'd ever seen in your life. He said, those are organic apples. He said they don't use any pesticides, so they do get bugs. They don't use herbicides, so they get weeds and things like that, or they have to clear them by hand. Uh, And they don't use any petrochemical fertilizers. They use just the natural stuff, manure. Um, That's great. The problem is if you've walked into a grocery store and paid attention, and I try to pay attention, I I push the cart when Tina goes grocery shopping because I'm usually better at carrying things, and... uh, you see a bunch of organic apples. They routinely cost a lot more money than the regular apples. And in fact, even an organization like the UN has determined, uh, and we've pointed this out several times, that so-called organic food, no matter what it is, is no better nutritionally for you than the regular kind. Um, now, but, but if people have a preference and they say, I want to have beef that's grass fed, I don't want them fattened up with corn, I don't want them uh, get, to get vaccinations or inoculations, that's fine. And these people are willing to pay extra for that. Well, guess what happened? This man, Mr. Miller, has been having troubles that go all the way back almost a decade. The government accused Mr. Miller's farm of making people sick with a, an illness called listeria. Yeah, it sounds like Listerine. Yep, that's right. Um, it got two people got sick. One person died and they thought the source of it was the milk from Mr. Miller's farm. Well, he objected. He said, first of all, the person who died had a pre-existing condition. You know, a term we didn't use that much till the pandemic came along and his milk was not even proven to have caused the illness. Well, Fast forward to the summer of 2021. Again, American Military News, my source. I don't steal things like Joe Biden and Claudine Gay. Armed federal agents sent by the USDA demanded that Miller cease his organic operations. And they were going to hit him with $300,000 in fines, which would have been enough to put him out of business. I mean, I imagine that growing organic food for people in a private club is probably relatively lucrative, but not that lucrative that you can afford $300,000 fines. So they said, stop selling the meat until we have federal agencies come in and regulate it. You know what he said? 
He said, if you come in and do that, you're going to hurt the nutritional value of the food. You wash it in things. You've given them vaccines. The cows get all kinds of medicines. I don't do that. Your regulatory process hurts the quality of my food. And apparently his customers agree with him. Well, in that case, I said, let the buyer decide. Let the customer decide what's right for them. Federal agents camped out at the farm and took an inventory of his meat, his dairy, and all his other food to make sure he wasn't selling to the public. That was summer of 21. Well, July 21st of 2021, so just a couple of years ago, a federal judge signed a 39-page order imposing sanctions on Miller and his farm, $250,000 fine, and other penalties to affect the defendant's future compliance. In other words, the government says, we don't care if your customers love what you do. We don't care if they pay top dollar for that food. We're going to make you stop doing it. And the farm was ordered to pay the fine within 30 days or face future penalties. Summer of two years ago, a year and a half ago, Amos Miller, six years of battling with the USDA, represented by the U.S. Department of Justice, They filed papers with the Eastern District Court of Pennsylvania. Uh, Miller has also taken some of the decision-making to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals in Philadelphia. He's working through the system. He's going to beat them at their own game. And his position on government regulation is that overriding the judgment of individuals about how they produce food, how they trade food, how they sell it, virtually every part of economic life violates our right to liberty and property. And I agree with Mr. Miller. August 11th, so now just over a year and a half ago, uh, federal attorneys wanted Amos Miller jailed for refusing to pay fines of $105,000 and court costs as well. Miller's case appeared December 20th of 2022, so just over two years ago. Miller had reached another agreement with the federal government. Well, the latest update on this, his farm was raided again. In Pennsylvania, Lancaster County, Burden Hand is the name of the village. Three Pennsylvania state troopers, seven other officials for multiple hours on Thursday, January 4th, or uh, yeah, January 4th of this year. According to the Lancaster Patriot, the local daily fish wrapper, Thursday's raid came as a result of a search warrant and included officials seizing multiple coolers of his product, including chocolate milk, sour cream, eggnog, and even ice cream. The latest claim says that the officials were notified by the New York State Department of Health of a confirmed positive case of shigatoxin-producing E. coli. The individual allegedly had consumed products. It's beginning to sound like because they can't get him through the system, they're going to set him up. They're going to have people come in who are not members of his private food club, and they're going to try to make the purchases so they can prove that this man has no business being in business, and that is a sad day for America. Coming up in a moment, are American ideals being sacrificed in classrooms? We'll talk about what the Biden regime is is doing to train educators on how to inoculate students against ideas. This is... Here comes brutal honesty, whether you like it or not, 
with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It seems that the indoctrination efforts of not just local school districts, but also the federal government have reached such a level they're not even trying to hide it anymore. That they say the Biden administration is trying to tell teachers through its State Department and the Department of Homeland Security that they have a way to inoculate students against bad ideas, meaning in this case, conservative ideas. And I thought we'd discuss that with Dan Snyder, who is VP of the Media Research Center in Free Speech America. Dan, welcome back and Happy New Year since we haven't had you on since the new year. Thanks, Lars. And it's a good new year because it's a year we can try to replace this radical left-wing agenda-driven administration. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. And I, I, I only think the administration is going to get more and more desperate to hang on to power. But would you mind describing for my audience what these efforts are by these two major cabinet agencies, state and homeland security, what they're trying to do in the local public schools? Lars, you've got a very smart audience, and they I suspect that they think that you have misstated this, because they're, <laughs> they're hearing you say the State Department, the U.S. State Department, and they're also hearing you say public schools in America, and they're thinking, wait, the two don't work. And that's exactly right. The U.S. State Department is supposed to be our chief dip- diplomatic arm to foreign governments. But what the Biden administration has done instead is use the State Department to incorporate a German socialist censorship and activism component into our public school system. This is unbelievable. And and, uh, you indicated they're not even hiding it anymore. Actually, they are hiding this deep in the bowels of the bureaucracy. And our sneaky little head of investigations here at MRC has uncovered this using his wily ways of finding these things out. Well, I'm sorry to, to have misstated it, because all I meant was it used to be that they would try to do it with a little bit of subtlety. But in this case, if they're actually going in and telling teachers, we're going to train you how to inoculate students so they won't be infected by these conservative ideas, and in some cases, American ideals, um, exactly, I, I, I kind of wonder what happens when they run into a, a teacher who actually believes in American ideals or believes in conservative ideas. I know conservative teachers. How do they respond when they're told this is how you protect the kids against this bad stuff? Lars, this is how they avoided that. Applicants to the program actually had to identify their own ideology. Oh, my God. And we've got a teacher who, who you know, privately told us that when she was identified as a conservative, she was put sort of in the timeout room. She was put in a separate, separate, separate breakout room with the head of this grant program, you know, basically to keep her from learning what was really going on. But, you know, so this German model, it will not surprise anybody on this call anymore that this German socialist model is actually drafted in part by the vice chairman of Germans Socialist Ruling Party. Uh, and, and it comes out of the University of Würzburg, which is the alma mater of none other than Joseph Goebbels. Wow. Hitler's propagandist and censor in chief. This is, this is a, there's a long lineage in Germany. And our State Department, our U.S. State Department, is incorporating that model into classrooms all over America. Well, and see, think how this hurts education, even beyond the issues of ideals and conservative ideas. If you're telling kids, don't question things. If we tell you this is the way it is, it is. That that means that even the students who run into this, if they say to the teacher, well, 
if, if you think socialism is so great, how come capitalism isn't better? Here are a few examples where capitalism is superior, and I would say it's all of them, but, you know, that's I, I tend to have that kind of view, uh, that, that any, any day capitalism is better than, than any day of socialism, and that socialism and communism, which follows right after it, have about 150 million human victims in the last century or so. A kid isn't even allowed to, to question those things because the teacher will simply steer them in the other direction? Lars, you're asking all the right questions. These teachers are being taught how to indoctrinate kids with resiliency. And this is one of the terms left, the left loves to use now, resiliency, where the teachers are taught how to deflect students away from conservative media and not ask these kinds of questions. But this is this is so Orwellian. If it were in a movie, nobody would watch it because it just seems too extreme. But it's what our taxpayer dollars are now being used to do. Now, is are, are all school districts in America subject to this, or are they, are they trying to, to push it out in some select areas and then figure out if, if they're successful and then move on from there? All right. Again, you've asked the right question. Part of this grant application and, and the actual funding of it goes to an advocacy lobby shop that that is directly lobbying state legislatures to have laws mandate that this education be included all across America. Laws have now been changed in 18 states as a, as a consequence of this lobbying effort. So in 18 states, it's required by law, but in every other state, it's voluntary, and lots of teachers all over the country are already inclu- uh, incorporating this model. It's everywhere. And should I, your kids, should I assume your should I assume this is also being pushed into the schools of education where the teachers are being trained? So you're not just doing it in the active, you know, working public schools or non-working public schools as they are, but you're also pushing it into the universities? Yeah, we don't have evidence of, of, of universities participating in that way, but we do know that in the, the first set of training seminars paid for by the State Department, that 18 teachers were 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 set apart to create model legislation to be used nationwide. I wonder what happens, you mentioned what happens to a conservative teacher who manages to get inside the, the room and then is set aside. What about liber- even liberal teachers who may think that this is, this is not education, to teach kids not to question ideas, not to, to question what they're learning or, or think about the alternatives uh, are, are we finding any that are actually waking up in the middle of this, re- realizing this is not education? You know, I would hope that in America there are still some of those traditional liberals who would say this this isn't right. But we've not heard from any of those from any of those from any of those teachers. We've only heard from one conservative teacher who has told us what has happened there. Now, is there a way to stop this? Because this doesn't seem to be within the bailiwick of the State Department at all. Well, yeah, the House Appropriations Committee is looking to defund these sorts of efforts, uh, and we've been working with the appropriators. We've been working with the Speaker of the House. So the relevant members of Congress are now on to uh, the State Department and to the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, DHS has now taken the baton from the State Department, and they have supercharged this effort, rolling it out nationwide. So uh, you know, members of Congress are aware of it. Of course, those appropriations fights are bitter and tough, and Chuck Schumer and the other Democrats in the Senate will fight against defunding any of these efforts. But it's a battle for America now.
Well, I'll tell you what, I hope that you're getting it out to candidates as well, so that Republican candidates, conservatives, uh, will tell the American public, if you don't vote uh, the right way this time, you're going to find your kids indoctrinated in public schools and you're paying for it. Dan, thanks so very much. That's Dan Schneider from the Media Research Center, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. The health, we're all on our okay. It's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. I know. Lars. Real Red Meat Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Our schools are not migrant or homeless shelters. They're places of learning for our children, paid for by our taxpayer dollars. Our children, our school community, our families should not have to bear the brunt of a migrant crisis. This is not good for anyone, not the migrants or their children, and not students and their families. Why don't we send them to Gracie Mansion? Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. That is a member of the New York City City Council. Her name is Ina Vernikov, and she's making a very simple and common sense point. And you have to realize that at this point, we had an incident last night in America that ought to be a warning to every single person in this country. Joe Biden's invasion of illegal aliens has now finally come home to the point where it is threatening the education of your children. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And I've simplified this whole issue, although I want to give you the details, because the details are especially nasty. Should American schools be off limits to house Joe Biden's illegal alien invasion I would answer that one, yes. You can answer any way you like. You'll find the question on X or Twitter, at Lars Larson Show. And you also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. But what Ina Vernikov was saying last night in New York City, and I would suspect that this is going to start happening at one level or another everywhere in America. In fact, I'll even quote Elon Musk, who I don't always agree with, But Elon Musk said, when they run out of hotels, they're going to come for your kids' schools. And when they run out of the schools, they're going to be coming for your houses. And I don't think that that is a, uh, I don't think that's a facetious suggestion. I actually think we're headed that direction. Because let me remind you of some of the facts on the ground. In the last almost three years of Joe Biden, we have seen more than 9 million illegal aliens come into America. And the vast majority of them, about 85% of them, are released right into the United States. And they're told to show up for court in a few years. And we know by experience that the vast majority of them will not. These are the future voters of the Democrat Party. I mean, way back in the 1800s, Democrats had slaves. Well, they don't have slaves anymore, but the party of slavery since 1829, the Democrat Party, they need a new captive group of people. And they're running out of the other groups they typically turn to, 
Black Americans have decided we're tired of this Democrat nonsense. They're voting Republican. Hispanic Americans, the same. Asian Americans, the same. So what are the Democrats going to do? They need to import literally millions of people to vote in elections. And guess what? Illegal aliens will be voting in America's elections this year. I can prove that. So what are they doing now? Well, in the biggest cities in America, like Chicago and New York, and I'll tell you what happened at James Madison High School last night and this morning, in those big cities, the number of illegal aliens is staggering. It's in the hundreds of thousands. Except if you do the math, with more than 9 million coming into the country in the last three years, and only a few hundreds of thousands in the big cities where they show up in large groups, where are the rest of them going? I can guarantee you they're not staying in Texas or New Mexico or Arizona. They're not staying in California. They are spread throughout this country. And what's happening then? Those cities are then saying, well, we have to care for these people. We have to provide them with housing. No, we don't. They're illegally in our country. We don't have to provide them with housing. We don't have to feed them. We don't have to provide them with medical or health insurance, as California, Washington, Oregon, and about a dozen other states have already said, we will provide Medicaid, meaning taxpayer-funded health insurance, for illegal aliens. I kid you not. Your taxpayer dollars are already paying for the medical care of this vast invasion of more than 9 million people sponsored by, aided and abetted by, the man in charge of the Biden crime family, and that's Joe Biden. So what happened in New York last night? Well, uh, at, at Floyd Bennett Field, which is a, you know, a big, a big athletic field, they had a giant tent full of about 2,000 illegal aliens. And then some storm winds came in, and they blew much of the tent down. So the city of New York said, we have to put these people somewhere. Where are we going to put them? So they decided to center on James Madison High School in Brooklyn. And let me tell you something significant about that neighborhood. That neighborhood of New York City, even though the state and even though the city of New York City tends to vote for Democrats very, very reliably, in the case of James Madison High School and the neighborhood in Brooklyn, it went in 2020 largely red, meaning that most of the voters there voted for Donald Trump. Now, they didn't outnumber the rest of the people in New York City or New York State, but they voted for Donald Trump. Do you think it's an accident that the Democrat leadership of America's biggest city, New York City, decided to focus on a neighborhood that was largely populated with conservative Republicans instead of focusing on an elite Democrat neighborhood somewhere in Manhattan, which you can find almost any time you want to look? So what did they do? They put them on school buses, 2,000 illegal aliens, and they brought them to James Madison High School. And then, on very short notice, they told all of the families whose kids go to that school, sorry, there won't be school tomorrow, we'll do online education instead, we have to vacate James Madison High School at least for the night and for the next day. They're now trying to clean the school up today after the occupation by illegal aliens last night. Your kids are not welcome in the school that you parents paid for. We're giving the space away to illegal aliens. Well, as one of the residents uh, who was only identified as Rob said, this is blanked up. And he used a word I can't use on the radio. But he says it's a litmus test. They're using a storm, a legitimate situation where they're testing this out. And you know what? I think Musk's suggestion is right. He's not always right, but he's right in this case. 
the big cities have started buying hotels to house illegal aliens, just like they have housed drug uh, addicts and the rest. And they now say we have to spend a whole bunch of the public's money housing illegal aliens, feeding illegal aliens. And by the way, many of them are complaining about the food. Apparently, beggars can be choosers when they say, well, we don't really like the food you're feeding us. We really don't like the place you're housing us. And typically, those hotels end up getting wrecked by the illegal aliens, even if they're only in them temporarily. So you can imagine what they're going to do to public schools. And imagine what's going to happen this coming summer. We're going to have a Democrat convention, a Republican convention. And in most of the big cities, they're going to be overrun by these illegal aliens The cities are going to say, well, the schools are vacant because it's summertime. Let's just let the illegal aliens camp there. You know, Joe Biden's newest group of voters. This is outrageous. It's got to stop. And in our Twitter poll or X poll question today, should American schools be off limits to house Joe Biden's illegal alien invasion? I'm going to answer yes on that. I'm glad to get your phone calls and your emails. If you want to join in on the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, I'm going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our X poll, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Conversation and talk journalism at 866-HEY-LARS. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your phone calls and emails. I'll get back to those in just a short bit at 866-HEY-LARS. Naysayers, and we've had some naysayers today, at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can vote in our X poll. We had to change the name. It used to be Twitter. Uh, You can find the X poll at LarsLarson.com or at Lars Larson Show on X. Uh, Brian Westbrook is a guy you've heard as well, tech expert, longtime friend of the show, and we can find him at the Consumer Electronics Show. Brian, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Lars. So I I would love to go to this thing one of these days. The Consumer Technology Association puts on this CES. It's always sounded like a lot of fun, but never seen the reason to take the time off because we have you there to tell us about all the amazing new stuff they're coming up with. What's jumping out at you right now? Well, you know, Lars, let's get you down here. I'm actually sitting in a broadcast booth. You could do the show from here. We could talk about all the fun gadgets and cool technology that is here. I am at CES. It used to be called the Consumer Electronics Show, but now it is so much more. 117,000 people are in attendance. I'm right now sitting in the West Hall in my broadcast booth overlooking just giant exhibits from all of the big car manufacturers. I see Hyundai out my window. I see John Deere has a giant tractor with automation and AI built into it. 
it. I see a lot of really just cool technologies. This is where technology starts. It's where it is born. It is where you learn about it first. And some of these things, honestly, Lars, will never see the light of day. You and I have talked about this over the years. Some cool things, some neat technologies, but it's like, yeah, this isn't practical or it's obsolete before it can be actually manufactured. A lot of cool concepts here. A neat thing, I actually just signed up to win a trip and I think I should just be automatically uh, uh, eligible <laughs> to go up in the Goodyear blimp, which is here in Las Vegas. I said, oh, what's the sporting event going on? They said, no, no, it's here for CES. That's what kind of a big deal this is. You know, I got the chance probably, I don't know, 30 years ago, I, I rode in the Goodyear blimp. They have a bunch of them, but this one was the Columbia. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's quite a ride. It's, uh, you know, and thank God it's not full of hydrogen. You know, the Germans weren't very good at figuring <laughs> that one out. But I want to ask you this. You know, I, I hate yeah. to say it. But given everything that's going on in the world, I would walk through that show thinking, and just forgive me for thinking this sure. way, what are the nefarious purposes that this stuff is going to be put to? Because I know that everybody who's coming up with these things is probably saying, oh, we've got this great new gadget. It'll do X, Y, and Z. And what yeah. I'm thinking is, how, how long is it going to take before the first person figures out how to use it for something immoral or illegal? Yeah, and that's definitely on everyone's mind, the ethics of this technology. And we'll get to AI in just a second, but I want to talk about some of the physical sure. gadgets. One of the big drone makers you've probably heard of, I'm not going to mention them by name because I don't want to draw the comparison, is actually delivering packages with drones now. Now, we've talked about that for some time, but who's to say that that package is actually your Amazon delivery and not something uh, perhaps a little more explosive? Uh, so there's really oh, now a lot you're of thinking AI. like Hamas, right? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like Lars Larson, being a skeptic here and thinking about the other side of the equation. I, I, I will say, though, it is difficult to think about the technology and not be cautious about what it can do. I mentioned AI. There's a lot of conversations around the ethics of AI and at what point does AI become sentient? At what point is, have we gone too far? And the current thinking, the current argument, I, I watched a panel on this the other day, was that AI is going to become smart enough to manage AI. Now, I didn't quite follow that logic, but there is some degree of, of, of logic to it in that the AI engines will actually help administer uh, what this technology is doing and what sort of thinking beyond where we could possibly go uh, and try to prevent it from falling into the wrong hands. Not only that, but also uh, being used for evil. Definitely. You know what I'd mind. love to see, Brian? And, and I don't want the government doing this, but could you imagine a, an AI that parents could put on the cell phones that their, their children, say teenage children have, that look for bad stuff, uh, either, either sexual pictures, uh, the wrong kinds of messaging, and, and you say, well, you don't want the government doing it. No, I don't want the government doing it. But if a parent said, I want something that's parked on my son or daughter or both's uh, cell phone, smartphone, that watches for stuff that I ought to know about. And if you say, well, you don't have a right to do that, your kids have a right to privacy. No, they don't. Parents have a right to safeguard their kids. And some of that means, I don't know, checking their dresser drawers from time to time, making sure they're not sneaking pot or, you know, weapons or anything else in. But that's a parent's job. I would love it if they had an AI that said, we'll watch over your son or daughter's phone. If we see something that looks sketch, you know, one way or the other, uh, you know, whether and it could even be messaging, you know, emails or text messages or pictures or things like that. Uh, we'll alert mom and dad, and they can make a judgment call about whether or not they need to act on it. Anybody got something like that? 
Not that I've seen yet, but you know, Lars, every time I jump on this show, I have four or five new business ideas as a result. I think if listeners are not starting by now, (laughs) we we should be. I will tell you that this is the room, this is the place, this is the city where all of those smart minds are thinking about solving problems like that. And uh, I'm going to look out for something along that AI to manage your children's uh, phone usage and watch out for things. But honestly, well, how about all of their electronic pad devices, cell phone, pad, uh, laptop, computer? And, and even if mom and dad told the kids, hey, you start, you know, doing drug, you know, drug deals on your phone, we're yeah. going to find out. You start sending pictures or receiving pictures that are inappropriate, we're going to find out. If you have yep. somebody who's trying to poach on you, some pervert out there who's impersonating a 12-year-old girl and trying to talk your son or daughter uh, into doing things they shouldn't be doing, it's going to watch for that. See if, see if anybody's got anything like that. What is, what is the biggest loser idea you've seen yet or device where somebody came up with something and it's just, it's, in your mind at least, it's something that isn't going to work. Nobody's going to like that. You know, I'm actually going to give you both my favorite thing that I've seen so far and my least favorite thing in one device. There is a lawnmower that will actually mow the lawn for you, and that's cool. That sounds great. I'm all for that. But the fact that it can draw patterns and put put messages in your lawn, oh, I, I feel like uh, <laughs> I could get I could get Trump 2024 cut into my lawn. You could do that, right? Nobody's right? going to put Joe Biden up there, but they might put Trump in their lawn. I, I like that idea. I have, a, I have an even better idea, Lars, and, and I'm stealing this from a morning show that you and I both know very well. Uh, the, the co-anchor came up with this solution. She said, why don't I just write get off my on, on, on the lawn? I thought that That's was a, a good idea. one, especially That's for one, older yeah. people like her. That's right. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, wow. So th- so that's both your favorite and least favorite idea? I think it is. I think it is. There's some cool technology here, though. LG has been showing off a transparent TV. Imagine if you had a fish tank that just all of a sudden became a, became a television set. Uh, there are folding monitors, folding displays, a lot of folding technology, a lot of transportation technology. We're talking about not only just driverless cars, but package deliveries and things like that. So there's some really cool stuff here. And always, and I haven't made it over to the knockoff world yet, where there's a lot of like, okay, this is really kooky. We do not need this. Uh, but I'm excited to check that out a little bit later on. There's always some really good, what were they thinking gadgets over there. Yeah, because those are the ones where, I mean, even if they've come up with a, a one that's not going to sell or whatever, at least it shows that there are people out there innovating. Yep. And America is yep. one of the places where there is a lot of innovation. Are we seeing anything like this, you know, this level of innovation from countries like Japan or China? Well, and of all the countries that are here, Lars, you do see a lot of innovation in the United States, and a lot of smart people are working on things. And we're seeing a lot of, not only from the big players, the Amazons of the world, you know, Microsoft doesn't have a booth here, but you're seeing some of their technologies here as well. You're also seeing it from the small guys. Like, some of the best exhibits are the tiny little booths that you go to, and and the, the owner, the developer, the founder is there. They've got this cool idea for a software product or a gadget uh, that really they think is really cool. A lot of the big devices... I learned about at CES first, uh, the Ring Video Doorbell, which ended up getting bought by Amazon. I met the founder here a few years ago and was able to talk to why did he create this, what was the thought behind it, and it exploded to be a big business. So this is really where technology is born. The VCR was launched here, DVD players were launched here, uh, driverless cars, all sorts of technology has really uh, found its footing here at CES. Brian Westbrook, our tech expert. You can find what he writes at brianwestbrook.com. Brian, thank you very much, and I appreciate you coming on. Coming up in just a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. Email talk at LarsLarson.com. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. 
Thanks for joining me for Honestly Provocative Talk Radio. If you want to sound off, well, you're always welcome here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, naysayers always go to the head of the line when you call the Lars Larson Show. Check out our Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show. And, of course, you can check us out on Instagram and Alexa as well. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show. Lars Larson Show. All men and the people who love them. Get enough, Lars? Follow him on Twitter at Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And the news broke today that uh, Chris Christie, around 5 o'clock about this time on the East Coast, is going to be dropping out of the race for president. He's been the anti-Trump component of that all along. And then you've got the also-rans, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, who are trying to make some kind of showing in Iowa that might just save them before they head on to New Hampshire. And while all of that is going on, the four different criminal cases against Donald Trump are going on, including one in Georgia involving the local DA uh, in Fulton County, Fannie Willis, and that one's taken a bizarre turn. So I thought we'd get Hans von Spakowski on, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, to talk about the implications of all this. Hans, welcome back and Happy New Year. Uh, Lars, thanks for having me back. Yeah, bizarre bizarre is certainly the word. Uh, On Monday, uh, one of the defendants in the case, Mike uh, Roman, uh, his lawyer filed one of the most uh, shocking motions I think I've seen. Uh, it accuses Fannie Willis of basically having an adulterous affair with this private lawyer who she then hired as a special prosecutor in this prosecution of Donald Trump and Mike Roman and, and, and more than a dozen uh, other, um, other lawyers. And, she says that uh, not only, you know, is that, of course, unethical, but uh, she did not, Fannie Willis, she didn't get the okay, the approval of the county commission, which she needed to do uh, before she could hire a special prosecutor. And the whole thing is very suspicious because it turns out this private lawyer, um, he's got no experience prosecuting felony RICO cases. Remember, they're being prosecuted under the federal RICO law. That's the Racketeer Influence Corrupt Organizations Act. Yep. And yet, as the lawyer points out, um, there are lawyers at, at, uh, in the state of Georgia, the AG's office in the city of Atlanta, who are very experienced in prosecuting and defending RICO cases, and yet she hires uh, the person she's having a romantic relationship with. You know, not only is this an ethics problem, but uh, the motion says that um, this lawyer used the estimated million dollars, if you can believe that, 
in attorney's fees he's gotten to help with this special prosecution to pay for personal trips for him and Fanny Willis, going to places like Napa Valley, the Caribbean, on uh, Norwegian cruise lines. And, you know, that brings up uh, the issue of whether she has broken federal law, because there's a federal law called uh, uh, on honest services fraud, which makes it a criminal violation of the law if a vendor sends a kickback to the employer who has hired them. And this motion says that the money this private lawyer was getting um, right out of that account, he paid for, for example, hotel rooms for his those personal trips. Yeah, and he can't exactly say they were doing research uh, in the Napa Valley on, on Donald no. Trump or the Caribbean <laughs> or anything else. The other piece to this is this Nathan Wade, the private attorney. Um, we can talk right. about whether or not there was even a justification. You've suggested that she could have used existing personnel from her own office or from the state of Georgia who have the background to do it. This Nathan Wade has had some visits to the White House in the last year, hasn't he? Yeah, in fact, uh, what, one of the uh, part of the billing records was evidence that he had met with the White House counsel office uh, of the Biden, Biden White House. And you would just be sitting there going, why would there be any need for a prosecutor in Atlanta to meet with the White House counsel? And that brings up the potential issue of coordination uh, between the Biden White House and this local DA uh, to get rid of a potential presidential opponent to Joe well, Biden. By the way, it's yeah. been a very interesting coincidence. <laughs> this uh, this motion was filed on Monday. Well, apparently a couple hours before the motion got filed that morning, a process server showed up at the office of Fannie Willis in Atlanta and served a subpoena on Fannie Willis for her testimony in the divorce case going on between Nathan Wade and his wife. Oh, yeah. Did I mention Nathan Wade? Nathan Wade is apparently married when when he and Fannie Willis started this alleged affair. Okay, so could she have argued? I mean, absent all this other stuff, could she have argued I'm hiring a special prosecutor because she ran for office saying, I'm going to get Donald Trump just the same way Letitia James did, too. Was she seeking to say, I'm going to have this private attorney from outside my office, somebody who's not working directly for me. So she gives the appearance to the court that you've got an independent prosecution of Donald Trump when, in fact, it's coordinated not just with Fannie Willis, but also with Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's a very big problem for her. Um she, uh, under the rules governing um, prosecutors in Georgia, there's an entire professional code of conduct just for prosecutors, not just for lawyers. Uh, and the motion cites this. Uh, if she's found to have acted unethically in this case, if she's found to have violated Georgia law by not getting approval for hiring the special prosecutor, uh, she would be required to be recused from handling the prosecution and her entire office, not just her, but her entire office uh, would have to be uh, taken out of the case. So this is a very, very serious development. It's one that the judge uh, in the case, he's going to have to hold a hearing. He's going to have to investigate this 
And Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade are going to have to answer under oath uh, for all the allegations made against them. I mean, does it blow up the case in some sense if they have to hand it off to somebody entirely outside the Fulton County DA's office, since this seemed to be a politically motivated prosecution anyway? If they hand it off to somebody who's independent, they look at it and say, there's not much of a case here. What happens then? Then the case is dropped. Because, in fact, the motion is asking for the prosecution and indictment against Mike Roman to be dropped. If the judge finds all of this is true and does drop the case against Mike Roman, he's not going to have any choice other than to drop the case against all of the defendants, including Donald Trump. And by the way, Hans, if you were working for me as my attorney, since I'm not an attorney, what we talk about is private. But if Nathan Wade went to the White House and talked to the White House counsel's office, that's discoverable, isn't it? Could they call the White House counsel, the person, and say, you don't have any attorney client. Nathan Wade, you're not the client. And and that attorney is not your attorney. It's the White House. It's Joe Biden's attorney. They could haul Joe Biden's attorney into court and say, answer under oath, what were the two of you talking about? Oh, oh, yeah. And in fact, if there was anything in that conversation that would would uh, is exculpatory, that helps the defense, uh, the prosecution is obligated to turn that over to the defense. Unbelievable. Where is this going to go? What's your prediction? Oh, I think there's going to be a hearing held by the judge in this case. I don't think he has any choice but to do that. And I, I'm sure that complaints will be filed with the state bar association and i think they're going to have to uh investigate this and frankly the state attorney general's office also needs to look into it because of possible violations of state law and maybe if there was a conspiracy among joe biden his attorney nathan wade uh, fanny willis well that could be a rico case even all by itself that is hans von spakowski senior legal fellow at the heritage foundation hans Thanks very much. I appreciate the time. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails. 866-439-5277. Emails go to talk at LarsLarson.com. too far away just tell alexa play the lars larson show why should we believe anything that this administration tells us about anything ever again i think we all recognize and i think the pentagon has been very very honest with themselves about uh the um the challenge to, to to credibility by what by what has transpired here and by what and by uh this is sadly uh, and tragically pathetic. How, how how hard it was for them to be fully transparent with the American people. Yeah, fully transparent with the American people. That was the voice of John Kirby. And the guy asking the question, just to give lavish credit, is Peter Ducey of Fox News. But he's asking him, why should we believe anything that you people tell us at this point? 
And the specific issue they were talking about is the one we've talked about on this show for the last couple of days, and that is Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was a wall. He was in the hospital. He was in intensive care. He was effectively incapacitated. Now, the guy has prostate cancer. I wish him the best, and I wish him a speedy recovery. He gets surgery three days before Christmas, and then about a week later, he's so terribly ill, he has to go back into the hospital. It can happen to any of us. But he goes into the hospital. He does not inform the White House. And, and they've got all kinds of cockamamie excuses. Well, I told somebody to call the boss and tell him that I was going to be out, et cetera, et cetera. His deputy, Ms. Hicks, was on vacation in Puerto Rico. Apparently, she was out of pocket as well. And Joe Biden, as usual, Joe Biden is completely clueless, doesn't even know that his defense secretary has effectively disappeared and the second in command is out of the country and she also doesn't know what's going on. So Ducey is asking Kirby, why in the world should we believe anything you people say? Because it sounds as though Either Lloyd Austin on his own or with the cooperation of the White House decided, I need surgery. I want to keep it a secret from the American people, so I'm not going to tell anybody. Now, is that legitimate? It appears that not only was procedure violated, that there is a procedure when top officials in the government are out. Heck, even when the president of the United States, and we've had this happen a number of times, has to go in, say, for a surgical procedure. In the case of Lloyd Austin, he was not under anesthesia. He was conscious the whole time during the surgery. And they considered it a relatively minor surgery, although to address a major problem, which is prostate cancer. But then when he goes into the ICU and he's just completely unavailable, I've been getting emails from people who are in medicine who saying, hey, if he was back in because of complications due to this procedure that was done for prostatectomy, not, not prostatectomy, but one of the other procedures related to treating that, he was incapacitated. So you've got China that is rattling the saber all day long. You've got Ukraine still going on. You've got a massive invasion with thousands of fighting age males flooding into our country without any seeming limit put on them by the Biden administration. And then the defense secretary is taken out of action and his second in command is nowhere to be found. And Joe is clueless. Does that give you a picture of just how terribly screwed up things are right now? Now, uh, there is already a move to impeach Lloyd Austin as defense secretary. He, his position takes confirmation by Congress. Uh, there's already a move to impeach him. And at least one of the members of Congress, a House member, is a Democrat who's saying, you got to get this guy gone. He needs to be gone right now. I mean, Joe Biden and his buddies have done so much damage, not just to the country, but to the Pentagon and our military specifically. All these woke policies like DEI and CRT and transgender and all the rest of this nonsense They've done a tremendous amount of damage. It is about time that members of Congress in the House begin to impeach these people and expose to the public exactly what has been going on. Now, you'll recall that Hunter Biden was subpoenaed to appear uh, before a congressional committee. He refused to comply with the subpoena. So today, the Congressional House Oversight Committee was holding a hearing about whether or not they're going to find him in contempt of Congress for failure to comply with the subpoena. And guess who shows up in the gallery? None other than the president's coked-up son, Hunter Biden. I know he claims to have beaten his addiction. I'm not going to believe that till I see some kind of proof. But he shows up in the gallery, 
And then when members of Congress begin to talk about the fact that Hunter Biden is there, I mean, Hunter Biden is the linchpin at the center of the Biden crime family, at the center of the corruption that goes all the way from Beijing to Moscow to Kazakhstan to Ukraine and Kiev. And it goes all the way to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and the Oval Office of the president. So what does Hunter Biden do? He flees. Now, take a listen to this. It's a soundbite. When Marjorie Taylor Greene, member of Congress, is trying to make a few comments about Hunter Biden while he runs out the door like a coward. Take a listen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, excuse going? me, Hunter. Oh, Apparently, you're afraid of my words. Uh, here <laughs> oh. I'd like to reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman. Burst their bubble. <laughs> Wow, that's too bad. Now, doesn't it strike you that our Congress has turned into a circus? It sounds like the Pentagon is a circus. The White House is a circus. Nobody's serious about anything anymore. These are real consequential issues. The fact that this country, and I've made the case to you before, this country has been sold out to places like Kiev in Ukraine. We've got tens of billions of dollars going there to Joe Biden's former associates, the ones who are writing all those multi-million dollar checks to Hunter Biden, some of which found its way back to Joe Biden, who's made himself a multi-multi-millionaire while presenting himself to the American public as I'm just plain old Joe from Delaware and I ride the train home every night from my job as a U.S. senator. Yeah, with a briefcase full of stolen classified documents, some of which it appears were shared with foreign countries that are not exactly our friends because his son was in business with those people. That is serious stuff. And at least one reporter asked, I thought, the best question of the day. Take a listen to the question shouted at Hunter Biden as he fled from the chamber of that committee. What's your favorite type of crack, Hunter, and are you on crack today? This is the situation we find ourselves in, that we've got we've got a country that is not being operated. We've got an invasion on our southern border. We've got a threat of a real shooting war with China. We've got an out-of-control situation in Ukraine that is gobbling up tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars. I believe that Joe Biden has committed high crimes and misdemeanors. I believe that his family peddled influence. The Biden crime family got millions of dollars. And the consequence of all of that, if you say, well, this is just politics, Lars. No, it's not. Our energy future, the thing that powers this country, is based on the God-given resources we've got in this country, like oil in abundance, coal in abundance, natural gas in abundance, uranium in abundance. And who has sold us out on all of those energy sources and said, we're going to tie America's energy future to Joe Biden's buddies in Beijing? The ones who want to sell us windmills and solar panels that they don't even use to power their economy, they use coal. I, I'm just going to tell you something. And, oh, and by the way, Joe is spending us into the poorhouse at the very same time. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Daisy was abandoned by 